Welcome to Stuck in Stony Brook, a podcast about the Babysitter's Club. Today we're discussing Mystery 6, the mystery at Claudia's house. And no mystery to you all, but we don't think it's a mystery. <laughs> yeah, when was the last time we read a mystery book that we did think was a mystery? I don't know why you would ask me that question and think I would know the answer. No, <laughs> is it the Marianne one? Oh, Marianne and the Secret in the Attic, the one that Emily didn't read. Oh, that was actually a mystery. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I was, yeah. I was so intrigued by your retelling of it, but yeah. I never went back and read it. So, Well, and when Jake Kuhn is missing, that's actually a mystery. Yeah. 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 I mean, is it a mystery or more just like... A terrible thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a childhood trauma. Yeah. <laughs> the Babysitter's Club Childhood Trauma Series, number four. Yeah, yeah I would enough. totally read that. <laughs> It's your favorite. But I also feel like they had a double down on saying it's a mystery in the title, which means it's not a mystery. Mm. Two mysteries cancels out Mm -hmm. the mystery. Oh, it's like two negative numbers. Okay. That's a good rule of thumb for our future mystery books. Start us with a one sentence summary that gives no plot, but I think is accurate. Mine is Mallory solves the mystery right at the beginning, but nobody listens. Mm. Yes. Mm -hmm. This is true. Poor Mallory. And solves the mystery, obviously, in scare quotes. Yeah. Mine is Derek Masters lies some more and Janine gets a boyfriend. Sorry. Spoiler. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, the one sentence summaries for this book are really, what else can it be? Yeah. Except Janine has a boyfriend. Yeah. (laughs) It is funny. Mallory's like, maybe she has a boyfriend and everyone goes, Mm, no, that can't possibly be no. the answer. How could that possibly be that a 16-year-old girl has a boyfriend? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, at first I was like, maybe the mystery is Claudia doesn't know who's coming into her room. And well, maybe that's, that's and part maybe, of the mystery. Well, yeah, but it's obviously like, who else could it be? <laughs> right. It's the phantom phone caller. Well, then yeah. I was like, maybe, maybe it's He's the out cat. of jail. Maybe it's the cat. <laughs> From the other oh, the ghost cat? The ghost oh. cat. It's Marianne's mom in the attic. Yeah, as a cat. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, it's just that. across the street. Oh, no, it's not. It's at Dawn's house. It's not just yeah. across the street. Okay, you guys, we should probably back up and tell you about the members of the podcast. I'm Annie Chikala, a freelance writer. I'm a mischievous pragmatist with a sweet tooth. I'm Esme Schaller, an adolescent psychologist. I'm kind of bossy, but I have a big heart. And I'm Emily Crandall, a feminist scholar. I'm a total individual and I like health food. Nope, can't do it. (laughs) If you want to learn more about us and how we know each other, please check out our prologue episode. Also, rate and review us. It really helps people find the podcast. And if you have any questions, comments, or commentary about anything BSC related, drop us a line at stuckinstonybrook at gmail.com. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash stuckinstonybrook. Ooh. Uh, I'm increasingly finding saying questions, comments, or commentary all in a row more difficult. (laughs) But exciting news. We have four new patrons to thank this week. So a pizza toast to Molly Rosenfeld, Laura Williams, Melissa Davis Kidd, and Barbara McLean. Hell yeah. Nice. Quattro. Pizza toast to Molly, Laura, Melissa, and Barbara. Thank you. Yeah. Very exciting. exciting. Did you guys both just say very exciting at the same time? It is very exciting. (laughs) That makes it sound disingenuous. 
really. <laughs> I think it makes you guys sound like nerds. Yeah, well, I think it's like exactly. We, that is a thing that we both say a lot, like very about exciting. some things. Yeah, <laughs> it's Whoa, like when we both said rain stick. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's exactly like that. Very exciting, rain stick. Very exciting. <laughs> It was very exciting. The rain stick was very exciting. Yeah. I'm going to start saying rain stick when something is very exciting. Oh, that'll rain be deeply fresh. Yeah. <laughs> Let's make it happen. Yeah. Wait, I'm as we forget say, about it immediately. So say <laughs> really we have distant. four new patrons. Oh, and we have four new pra- patrons today. Rain stick. <laughs> nice. I think it works. I like how you kind of say it like an insult, though. <laughs> Anne says everything kind of like an insult. Yeah, it's hard very to know. exciting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what happens in this book? And really, I mean, I know there's not a lot, but well, Claudia notices her her room looks different, even though it's already very messy. But she notices someone has been in there. It's a different it's mess. It's a different mess. It's Which different totally mess. screamed Anne Ichikawa to me, by the way. That's true. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah. I'm messy, but I'm very perceptive. Yeah. <laughs> so she's like, who could it be? Is it a burglar? Oh, it can't be a burglar. And then it's obviously Janine. Yeah. And she just keeps on seeing Janine coming, like, kind of coming out of her room and not really catching her. And then Janine starts acting weird and lying to her parents about where she's going to be. She by acting weird, she means wearing blue eyeshadow and like skirts that don't match her sweaters or something. And then the B plot is Derek Masters is back and right. the kids He ha- shows on hiatus. And there's some a rumor that in the next season he's gonna have to kiss an, another actor on the show. And so all the Stony Brook kids are ki- teasing him about kissing because he's embarrassed. And so I think he lies and says it's no big deal. You know, it's not like I haven't kissed anybody before. And they're all the the Pikes in particular, like keep trying to like use Margot for kissing demonstrations. No, Vanessa. Vanessa, sorry. Vanessa. Yeah. yeah. Um yeah. Yeah. They're right. like the triplets and Nikki are like paying Vanessa. Yeah, it's a little weird. Very strange. Derek. Yeah. But then I think um Derek maybe because he's put off by all the kissing talk with the kids sort of gets really invested in Claudia's mystery. And then he's like, I've, I was on a detective show or something. Yeah, kid detectives. Then, so yeah, he knows and, all about how to so let me solve help crimes. You. So he helps Claudia like trail Janine and mm-hmm. Janine sees her get in a car with a boy. And she like thinks that she's joined a cult or something and like tells their parents like all the, like, I have, yeah. I'm so worried about Janine. Look at this thing that I saw. And at this and, point, they still haven't put it together that Janine has a boyfriend. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's bizarre. Yeah. And yeah. then Janine gets in trouble for lying about where she was going. Um, and Claudia's like, it's so weird. I, you know, Janine's never in trouble. It's usually me. Does Claudia get in trouble for following her? No. No. <laughs> no. She just feels kind of guilty about it. Yeah, I mean, she gets the natural consequence of Janine being really pissed and not speaking to her for a while. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, so... Well, also, the boyfriend's really hot. Yeah, don't forget he's super hot. And she met him at college. How could I forget? Taking her college courses. Yeah, but also, how could you not be hot with a name like Jerry Michaels? I mean, (laughs) that is the least hot name in the BSC universe. (laughs) That's the least, that's less hot than Mr. Pike. (laughs) I also like the idea of this, like, 
boy genius who is really hot and drives a red convertible. I know. In high school. I love that for Janine, though. Janine deserves it. Like, I love that for Janine. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, Well, should I jump into sort of what I was going to say? I'm sure there's some stuff. (laughs) Well, I was thinking about how there's a little bit of a, a play on the makeover trope here in this book. So, um, you know, there's a lot of feminist criticism of the makeover trope, obviously. It's like, even when the lesson in the end is really, it was about the inside all along, you still don't get the guy or the job or the whatever until you've made yourself visually appealing in a way that matches a certain set of social norms and standards. And so like the the most egregious kind of um, a thread of the makeover trope is like the my fair lady one, right? Like you as a human, everything about you, um, the way you act, the way you dress, the way you talk betrays your lower social class and status. And if you want to do anything in this world, attract a man who's going to be worthwhile and not some sleazy, poor piece of shit, then you need to change every single thing about yourself, (laughs) wear different clothes, talk differently, walk differently, blah, 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 blah. Um, there's a lot of discourse on whether all makeovers are inherently sort of patriarchal in that they ultimately deliver the message that like to be appealing to men is what it means to be socially valuable and successful. Um, and people often cite the makeover in my big fat Greek wedding as kind of the, um, a potentially sort of like liberatory makeover. Like she does it for herself. Um, but I think that's an interesting, it's, I think that's a thorny kind of territory to wade into, right? Like, what does it mean to do something for yourself rather than to make yourself appealing to to someone else? And I think oftentimes, even when the the last note of the film is like, she had it in her all along, we still, I mean, like the Princess Diaries, for example, like she's not making herself pretty in that movie to appeal to a man outright right the problem is that she doesn't look dignified enough to be a princess and what her you know queen grandmother learns is that her she was good enough all along right like she had it in her to to take on this role and that like who she is is not bad even if it's not exactly what we think a princess should be but she still like gets glossy hair and you know like she already looked cool and then there's the problem that um, the way that those films are constructed, they make an already hot, beautiful actress ugly by like giving them glasses and frizzy hair. Oh and yeah. So, well, like she's all that is the best example of that. Yeah. I feel like with, you know, they just Rich put her Lee in glasses and like paint stained overalls. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and then just like, like, Oh, she's so awkward, ugly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so the, so even if it was like a, um, I don't know. And we've talked about this before too, with when we were talking about sort of like plastic surgery and things like that and how the ability to be able to like express something internal through an external expression is like a different thing. But when it's a very specific transition from like a set of, of like less than feminine um, representations to one that like appeals directly to a kind of ideal type, feminine ideal type that, that, that is sort of like, uh, um, in some ways a reproduction of those patriarchal ideals. Um, but I think what's interesting in, in this book is that the, the makeover is like Claudia 
kind of bringing Janine back from the edge a little bit. Like Janine tries to make over herself, right, to be more appealing to this guy who she thinks is probably too cool for her, even though he's obviously a big dork like her, right? And his um, name is Jerry. And his name is Jerry. But he's hot. <laughs> and, you know, Janine doesn't care about fashion, doesn't care about whatever, but she wants, I don't know, again, she wants to make herself appealing. And it seems from Claudia's descriptions like she does it a little bit clownishly. Um, and then Claudia's like, well, why don't I help you find a medium, a middle ground, right? Like, why don't I help you look like yourself, but maybe like a little bit older or a little bit more fashionable. And so she tells Janine, like, what, you know, why don't we keep working with the style that you have, but update it a little bit. And like, why don't, instead of wearing blue eyeshadow, wear something that's like a little more natural. So it's a kind of interesting take on, on the makeover. Um, cause I think it still has some of that, like it was in there all along, like ro romantic end to it. But I do think Claudia kind of rescues her a little bit from the, like, I have to, I have to look like this magazine in order to be appealing to my cool, um, you know, hot boyfriend. Yeah. Well, and I also, you know, I, I see why, you know, another reason why I liked, I didn't read this one as a kid because I didn't read the mysteries because I thought that it would be mysterious and scary, um, which is not true, but I didn't read them. Um, we also get the lesson at the end that Jerry liked Janine as she was all along and Jerry wasn't interested in any of these revisions yeah. to her look, which I feel like is, is um, you know, that's the dream as a, you know, as a, as a, um, uncoordinated tomboy girl and as someone that, you know, has never worn makeup or done things like that. I feel like that's a, that's Anna Martin's, like, I know this isn't an Anna Martin book, but I feel like that's in the Anna Martin universe. Like that's the right message, right? That everyone just gets to express themselves how they want to. And it's fine that Christy doesn't care what she wears. And it's fine that Stacy's super sophisticated and all of it is fine. Yeah, like do yeah. what works for you. Yeah. But I think Jerry's reaction to it is kind of, um, you know, that's a good, it's good that he was like, I liked you better before, but there's, I think it's also really nice that Claudia is the one who does that for Janine, right? That like, there's nothing wrong with, with what you like to wear or your look, but like, if you want to knock it up a, you know, a notch, like, let me help you with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm curious, Emily, if there's anything in the feminist discourse about that particular piece, I think in a lot of movies, the makeover is portrayed as a scene of bonding between two heterosexual girls. Like it's a, it's a way to connect. Like we see that at the end of the breakfast club with Allison and Claire, which is one of the most disappointing things about the breakfast club. <laughs> we're trying to, you know, we're trying to get those girls on the same page and we see it as recently as, I don't know if you guys watch do revenge, um, but it's in do revenge also. And that's obviously an homage to other teen movies, but um, you know, what about that? piece of it. Cause that's not, I mean, it's still probably it's looking outward in that you're making yourself look more appealing, which is then dictated by the patriarchy, but it's like viewed as this bonding experience. Yeah. I mean, I think, so there's a, um, a term that people use as somewhat of a, I don't know if it's always used in a critical capacity, but the term makeover feminism. So like the idea that, that, that bonding or that, that it's kind of like, 
an activity that takes place in a sort of uniquely female feminine realm that it, that there's like some kind of power in that. Right. That, um, and I think in part through what you're talking about, the kind of bonding that sisterhood. And then again, in like asserting one's like sexuality or something like that in a society that, that finds women's sexuality either dangerous or, um, subversive or, or, um, transgressive or something like that. And so there's, and I, and I think people, I think there's a lot of kind of debate over how empowering that really is much like any, much like, I mean, it, it, you know, recalls the feminist sex wars in the seventies, right? You have radical feminists who all agree on the idea that like patriarchy is a structure that needs to be overturned, overthrown, reconfigured, not just a set of laws that regulate what women can and cannot do in public. And yet they are completely diametrically opposed on questions of whether or not women should have sex with men at all, um, whether they should be sexy in public, whether they should do sex work, whether they should um, do porn or consume porn, whether they should engage in BDSM practices. Like, and they're, and they all have like very theoretically robust kind of justifications for both arguments. And they, and they ultimately agree on the principle like the the same central goal, which is that like patriarchy is is bad and like to get rid of it means a wholesale social change. And yet you have these two diametrically opposed views on sex. Um, and I think I think the makeover has the same or and not maybe as intense because it's not the like explicit site of a lot of gender based violence in the way that sex is. But I think there's a similar kind of disagreement over to what extent that's empowering. <laughs> Um, and I think I, I actually find both arguments compelling. So I'm sort of neutral on those, those questions myself, but. And what kind of thought, I mean, obviously this is central to like teen mag beauty sections and things like that. And I know you, you weren't, you weren't in the, you're the entertainment editor at L girl. You didn't work directly in beauty, but I know you've worked with a lot of beauty brands and like what, like of the people sort of. Um, presenting these things to teen girls, like, are there conversations about this, about kind of the the idea of the makeover and if it's problematic and if it's not? And I know L Girl was sort of a descendant of Sassy in presenting things in a more progressive light. Like, is this something that you guys talked about at the editor's table? And like, I'm just curious, like inside the like fashion machine, how this this idea of the makeover is viewed. Yeah, well, I think by the time I started working in teen media, like that idea was probably already kind of outdated um, a little bit. Like it probably wasn't, there was like kind of like more of the like girl empowerment in the early 2000s, probably. That stemmed probably from the 90s. But it wasn't like, I don't think, at least all girl did not do makeovers really. Like we did more like, glow ups probably type of things where, you know, it was just like, I want to look, I want this outfit, but like, I want to do it for less money. And how can I look more fashionable on a budget? Like those types of things. Um, I, I don't think even 17, I, I think that maybe they were masked makeovers. They weren't explicitly makeovers at this point. Um, I feel like I see a lot of like tips and trends Things. So it's not like, um, here are the seven definitive things that you need to do to be like sexy for men. It's like, here's this fall haircuts that people like or something like that, which is kind of interesting. Right. 
yeah. I, I do think women's magazines at that point, especially like Cosmo, were guilty of that, obviously, because like their cover lines were all about like how to be sexy or like they're all very like how to look appealing for men type of like story ideas. Or if they were like about jeans, it's just like how to make your butt look good in jeans or like things like that. Yeah, but that doesn't have to be for men. Everyone loves a good butt, you know? Well, that's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's <laughs> universally appealing. Well, exactly. It's like the makeover. As you were talking about makeovers, I was like, you know, in, in terms of the Babysitter's Club universe, like a lot of the characters have gone through some sort of like makeover subplot. Right. They get their ears pierced. Well, Marianne's Makeover is the next regular yeah. series book. We're coming up on it really soon. Or like when Don tried to dress all weird with that. Oh, for, was that for Travis? One of them. I think so. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. I feel like I see the the place I see the word makeover used the most is on like um, interior design and like home. Oh yeah, it's like mm-hmm. give your room a makeover or yeah. whatever. Yeah, right. But that's also like I mean, both of those things have a similar idea to them, right? Like something should look a certain way. And if it doesn't look this way, then it's not as desirable. Well, and I think what was really big in the early 2000s, did you use the phrase masked makeover, Anne? I think that this idea that it was for yourself and to increase your confidence and it was empowering as opposed to look better for men was a really big, I mean, I think about like what not to wear and the original Queer Eye, those were both early 2000s shows that were very much about like, how do we empower you by changing everything that you wear and throwing out all the clothes in your closet because your neighbors nominated you to get all the clothes in your closet thrown out so that you would stop looking so fugly, right? Like, but it, I think even to an extent, some of the like self-care wellness stuff is masked makeover too, right? Like these take care of your skin like this. And then all the side, all the like, you know, small print effects are essentially look young forever, right? So it's just reinforces the <laughs> reinforces the idea that like youth is the on, the most one of the most valuable aesthetics or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, now there's a whole like I believe Allure magazine, which is a beauty magazine, doesn't use the term like anti aging anymore. Interesting. Ooh. I think they use nice. like like. They either don't say it or like uh, some people are switching to the term like well aging or like something like that. It's just like, but I see both sides though. Cause it's like, yeah, people anti-aging isn't, I'm like, that seems appealing to me, but it just, it's like, it describes what it does, but I feel like society has turned it into something that is very negative in in the way of like anti-aging to me just means like like do I want to age well yes (laughs) so if something says anti-aging I'm like okay but it's not the way they use it in marketing it's like it's so you don't have wrinkles it's so your skin looks better so you look more youthful but I think too like a lot of cultures have old 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 traditions of caring for your skin that that have what we now think of as anti-aging effects exactly. but they weren't like it's just a it's just an aging product not an anti-aging product 
Right. 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 <laughs> right. Like yeah. when your skin is drier, you should put more moisture on it so that it feels better. And I don't know, like, I think that's, there's a long history of that, that has not, not, is not explicitly related to like. Yeah. Marketing, it's, beauty norms. And yeah. Marketing. yeah. And my point of view is as someone who works in the beauty industry and has to write a lot of copy for beauty products, um, it'll be like a company will say, Hey, it does like, it softens wrinkles and like makes your skin tighter and like all these like anti-aging benefits, but they don't want you to say anti-aging. So it's, it's like this weird, it's just like, well, the the product is, makes you look more youthful, but then there's like this weird, like semantics things of like, well, we're not saying we're afraid to use the word, even though the product is that desired effect. I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's, it's complicated. It's complicated. Another Very romantic exciting. comedy film. Rainstick. Yes. Rainstick. Rain yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, that was a long makeover uh, tangent. We'll talk about it more in a couple of weeks. So right. hopefully, hopefully you got a deeper, deeper makeover content closet. Um, well, I was interested in th- this uh, sort of good sister, bad sister trope that Claudia makes very specific. So we know that there's a long history of previous outright sibling rivalry with Claudia and Janine, um, where they didn't get along and they didn't like each other, hence Claudia and Janine. Um, and they've been working on their relationship and things have been getting much better in recent years. And we've seen it before this book, we've seen a lot of sweet sister to sister themes, um, and moments. And then I think we see more of them in this book once, once Claudia finally finds out what's going on and talks to Janine about it one-on-one. Um, but we get this really nice, I don't know, do either of you have a print copy or you both were kindled this time? So we've got this really sweet scene on page 78 where Claudia, Janine has gotten in trouble for being really, really late because she's sneaking out to hang with Jer Bear and she's not um, coming back on time. So she's gotten grounded for a couple days, which, by the way, side note, impressed with the Kishi's disciplinary actions. Most parents ground teenagers for way too long and then they forget that they've done it and there's no point and uh, it's a big mess. Um, so <laughs> both times Janine gets in trouble, it's for two days, which is absolutely, as somebody who works with what could often be described as out of control teenagers, that's a perfect amount of time, everyone. Ground your teenager for two days because it's <laughs> short enough that they will see a light at the end of the tunnel and you can get back to reinforcing behavior you want, but long enough that it is still painful when all you want to do is hang out with peers and you don't have contact with them for two days. Um, so I was very surprised because sometimes we get the Kishis, um, you know, marked as very, very strict. And sometimes I think there's like, can be like a little bit of an Asian stereotype there along with that. And I think that they were shocked because Janine doesn't usually need to get punished. And then they, they came up with a reasonable punishment. But in that, Claudia says, um, that, you know, she's home with her mom and she, she offers to help clean up the kitchen and her mom looks a little bit stunned. Um, and she says, well, I'd be glad for your help. There's a lot to do. So I, Claude says, I spent the morning being helpful and charming and polite, the good sister. I only had two days to bask in the glow of my new status, so I wanted to make the most of it. I could tell that my parents appreciated the new me, but I could also see that they were a little bewildered about my sudden personality change. The fact is, I'm the only one who worries about good sister slash bad sister. I know that in reality, my parents love me and Janine equally. I know they don't value her good grades over my artistic talent. Both are given equal weight. And it's not that I'm a terrible person or that I'm usually rude and lazy. My parents would probably think I was nuts if I explained what I was up to when I took on all those little extra jobs that Sunday morning. 
So I didn't explain. I just worked. I would be relieved when Jean's punishment was over and she could take back the good sister role. That's just the way my mind works. So I was just curious about both of your takes on this because, well, I'll, yeah. What are your reactions? And then I'll say something about my thoughts. I mean, that sounds reasonable to me. (laughs) (laughs) Same, Marianne. I mean, I feel like it's interesting because, I mean, my brother was definitely like, I wasn't a bad kid, but my brother was definitely like on paper, the better child, just in the Quote, sense. Unquote. Yeah. All yeah, of those are in, in quotes for Claudia too, by the way. Good sister is in quotes and bad sister. Right, right. Just because he got, you know, he's like an Eagle Scout and he was a valedictorian and like, you know, just the list of, you know, very much like Esme in that sense of just like very high achieving, never caused any trouble for my parents like, you know, very easy. And then I was just a little bit more rebellious, I guess. Um, and my parents also did not put any, there was like no favoritism, really. Like I can like look back and see, like I never can remember one time when my parents made me feel bad about that. But it's all very internalized. So, I mean, I feel like that's the way I would probably think too. If Scott was actually in trouble, he would have been like, oh, sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Just like, oh, that's weird. Yeah. And then like, that's cool. And then like, that's about it. Yeah. (laughs) Because my parents wouldn't have made a big deal out of it. They just Mm -hmm. would have been like moving on. Yeah. And that was it. Yeah. I mean, I never, I never thought about good sister, bad sister um, at all. I don't know if that's the same for Aaron, but we both got in trouble. We were both, we're both high achieving and we're both we both were trying to like press the boundaries and the rules a little bit in, in very similar ways. So we got in trouble for a lot of the same shit. Like mom says, you can't hang out with kids that are older than you, but you want to go to your friend's house that has an older sister. And so you just say you're going to a different friend's house and then, you know, then all hell breaks loose when the lie is caught. But like, yeah, my memory <laughs> of your adolescence is that, that you sure. both, yeah, there was not a clear, difference in the way there is mm-hmm. with Claudia and Janine. Um, yeah. yeah. Which makes sense. And, and we were both, we both did all the same extracurriculars. We both had same grades. Like, I don't know. Yeah. We we're pretty, pretty on par. I think I, I would be curious to know if that was Aaron's experience, but from my perspective, yeah. there was no good sister, bad sister. And I never thought in that dichotomy either. Yeah. Um, yeah. Aaron, you can call in and let us know if you think it's different. <laughs> the older sibling never thinks that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's pretty funny. Yeah, I just thought I thought it was a really nice um uh, like A, I think Claude's lucky that she's able to check the facts like that in the way that you were just now, Anne. I'd be curious like to talk to like 14-year-old thir- Anne if you also had the same clear balance about your parents' thoughts about you and Scott. I, like I was kind of impressed that she could have these sort of internalized thoughts but also be able to say but I know that's not really true. And I know that's not how my parents see it, but I'm still going to enjoy this and play this role for a couple days while Janine's in trouble because this might not ever happen again, you know? Um, so I thought that that was sweet and speaks to the good job that the Kishis are doing given how different their two daughters are. Cause I think that it can be hard to equally parent kids that are very different from you. And this is something I see a lot in, in my work. Cause I think that Janine is, is like a little Mr. and Mrs. Kishi in lots of ways, right? Like they're both, we can 
we get the impression from Claudia and from Mimi in earlier books that they were both pretty high achieving. You know, Peaches is the Claudia in the family. Um, and we haven't really met her yet, but, um, you know, I think Claudia is the one that is different. And sometimes parents do have a really hard time knowing how to fairly express the things that they legitimately love about their kid that is temperamentally different from them. Um, and so it was, I thought it was a nice testament to their parenting that Claude could have these feelings, which I think are very normal in terms of competition between siblings and, and want to play the good sister role, but also be able to say, this is not how my parents see it. And they, they would like think it was weird if I explained this. It's also funny because Claudia is not a bad kid at all. At all. Like she's like, she's <laughs> Neither like, were you. Well, no, but like, you know, Claudia is like a, like a very talented artist who's part of a babysitting club. Yeah. Like, Super responsible. Does all of, these, she's the vice president. Yeah. I know. Just, does nothing. all these like community service things. Yeah. With, yeah well, totally. And when, works really hard at school. Yeah. When you hear it, like a difficult child, it's usually more behavioral. It's like mm-hmm. they're acting out or they're getting in trouble all the time. And Claudia yeah. is like, none of those things. She's like a very well, good... Yeah, she has secret acting out though, right? She's got her candy and her Nancy Drew novels. Oh, so, ooh, she's reading yeah. and eating candy. <laughs> Real bad kid. Well, bad you kid. don't know those are gateway drugs, Anne. Okay, yeah. <laughs> but that's her. Like you know, I think that's part of her self concept, though, that she is doing these things underground, and like that's part of why she's so shocked at Janine's behavior because Claudia lies every day. Right. Like Claudia's like, yeah, no, I didn't spoil my dinner. Like just had a Milky Way five minutes ago. Like Claudia lies to her parents all the time. Now, yes, they're, I agree with you. They're silly, inconsequential lies. And it's a nice way for her to have a little autonomy as a young teen. I'm not trying to make it like it is a big deal. And to her, she's probably thinking, you know, her stage of moral development, like, well, I lie every day and Janine is always honest. Right. And so for her her to have the experience of Janine doing a very developmentally normative lie, you know, Emily, you just gave an example, like tons of people lie about where they are when they're hanging out with their first boyfriend, you know, and I think Janine wanting to be private and not wanting to share that with the family is really common. Um, Especially if you're in a family that, you know, shows love through acts of service and doesn't talk about emotions a ton. Right. Um, I remember Erin yeah. used to, this wasn't a lie, but anytime she was dating someone, she would say she wasn't for a really long time. So we would just, we, we <laughs> yeah. called all the guys Erin dated NHB, not her yeah, boyfriend. Not her boyfriend. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> yeah. That was one of the first things that Gary thought was really funny about the family. Because <laughs> like, that was, you know, we got together when Erin was like, 12. Mm-hmm. Um, and so <laughs> Gary saw a lot of NHBs over the years. Like, so funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's interesting. I think too, the fact that being a good kid means like doing a little more chores. Like I, I think we're <laughs> supposed to assume that Claudia does a normal amount of chores. I mean, mm-hmm. in before Mimi died, right. She's always down there helping Mimi with dinner and yeah. presumably she still helps her mom. Um, but like, Maybe maybe the usual division of labor is Claudia helps prep and Janine helps clean. Mm-hmm. So she's like, well, uh, I guess now that I'm now that Janine's the one who's lying, I better 
take over her chores. Like yeah. it's a weird like displacement. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like she could, one thing she could have done would be like, oh, maybe while Janine's grounded, I'm not going to read my Nancy Drew books and <laughs> eat my candy. Like, <laughs> Right. Yeah. That's funny. But I think the important piece was to display to her parents yeah. that she's no, the good sure. sister. So that wouldn't, that would just be in her heart. But Plus, I think she doesn't want to stop doing those things. Yeah, but I think it's funny that she wants to display it, even though mm-hmm. she knows that that's not how they think of yeah. it. Yeah, I think it's really cute. I think it's a really nice, like, um, I don't know. That is how young teens think. Like, she's able to hold those both and still want to, like, be the good sister. So I just, I enjoyed it a lot. And I enjoyed um, how mad Janine got also that Claudia had snitched on her. Um, which is the one thing that I thought was a little funky. Like I get Claudia was worried because she just couldn't fathom that Janine had a boyfriend. And so she thought that it was a safety issue and she needed to go to her parents. And I think that's good modeling in a book like this. But if I was Claudia, I would talk to Janine first. hundred <laughs> percent. And say, yeah. like, who the fuck? You're not supposed to get in people's cars that mom and dad don't know. Um, I'm scared. I was going to talk to them, but like, can you explain yourself or why don't you talk to them before I tattle on you? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not sure why she didn't do that. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Okay. My other question, which may feed into yours, Anne, is like, who is Jerry Michaels? Like, who is this super hot red convertible genius? Like, I don't, we don't get that much detail about his looks other than he has very dark hair. Right. So I don't know what kind of hot he is. I don't know who we're who we're picturing. Hmm. Well, I don't you think the only reason they made him super hot is to make it like, is that Janine's boyfriend? Cause if he was like a nerd, if he looks stereotypically like, nerdy. Exactly. Yeah. They wouldn't be like, what? You know, they no way. Yeah. Yeah. He must be a cult leader. <laughs> yeah. Um, he looks like Adrian Grenier. Hmm. Oh, okay. Okay. In my head. (laughs) (laughs) Who's hotter, Jerry or Bart? Uh, Jerry, obviously. But (laughs) just because he's older or? Yeah. Because he has a car? Convertible. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. What's Logan going to do? Take me on his bike? (laughs) Emily's such a deep capitalist. Like, like all of your your decisions. Like, Bart's better than Logan because his family's rich. But Jerry's better than no, Bart. No, Bart's better than Logan because he's not a fucking gaslighting, I like, know. misogynist. <laughs> also but, rich. But, yeah, but also Bart's hot and rich. <laughs> <laughs> I'm aspiring oh. to, like, live a life like Marx did, which is get by in a capitalist society being critical of it while someone else is bankrolling you. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Yes. That's a, that's a reasonable, reasonable life goal. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, patrons. Um. <laughs> Thank you, all the angles to my marks. Um, yeah. All right. So that, that's all I had. I, I did like that then Jerry came to dinner and that Claudia was nervous around him. And I just, it was, it was a sweet, uh, we got a lot of the Kishi family in this book, which I appreciate. Um, wait, one question for you before, yeah. before Anne. Um, did, was the kissing subplot like? Did that all seem developmentally appropriate? <sighs> no, thank you for asking. This okay. is super weird. Okay, so Derek Masters is eight. He's only eight. He's only eight. Damn. Yeah. 
third graders are very young. <laughs> it just, yeah, it was, it was developmentally made sense to me that the triplets would be curious and into it, but like Nikki and Derek it, uh, was weird. Um, and I think that, but I think it is representative of what happens to a lot of childhood stars, right? So people who are famous when they're eight get aged up and treated older. Um, now we think about that more as by adults in Hollywood and less by their peers, but I'm sure it happens both ways, right? Cause he has all of this life experience that the triplets can't imagine. So there's ways in which he is older and he understands responsibility differently. And, um, so in that sense, I think it makes sense. But if you, if it was just a bunch of eight year olds, there's usually one kid that's like running around kissing people, but not that they're all like fascinated and they want to like talk about it across multiple babysitting jobs. Yeah. It seemed weird to me, yeah. but I wasn't sure. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. I didn't really like the B plot. No, I feel like when Derek shows up, I'm a little nervous about it. Like, I don't think it's a bad situation, but I still think Super Brat's the worst book we've read so far. Um, and I was like, uh-oh, Derek's here. Also, the fact that Derek is just like a liar. <laughs> like, this is the second time. I mean, they did acknowledge that. And he did say, remember when I said that there was that kid and it was actually me? I should probably stop lying. And I think it's, you know... It's a common coping strategy for younger kids, so that part is believable, but I hope that he's actually learned his lesson that we don't get a third Derek Masters lying plot coming up. Yeah, yeah why did, of all people, they had, they had to bring him back? Yeah. I don't know. I'm sure we'll see him again someday. Probably. All right, Anne, what do you got? Well, before I get into my main nugget, what do you think about, Esme, you had a theory about this, this song that oh, right. kept on coming up. Yeah. the book. I really um, want someone to record a version of this, but it is not in Kid Kit's stylistic repertoire. So my my requests right. have been denied. So it's a um, song that Claudia hears on the radio and it's catchy yes. and she starts singing it. And then yeah. Janine gets weird about it and it turns out it's her and Jerry's song. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. So some of the lyrics are, your kisses are so sweet, your lips are like honey. Yeah. Um, we're so in love. We don't need any money. Yeah. Yeah. So um, go ahead. Oh, you have a theory. You think it's. Yeah. I was just looking at what, uh, you know, cause it's this like top radio hit with these like general lyrics. So I was, um, you know, I was just looking up what else came out around that. This is, uh, I think we're in 93 now, huh? Is this January? 92. 92. End of 92. Yeah. So I think that it's like, sort of a, um, like real love by Mary J. Blige. That's, that's the song that seemed to me kind of similar to this, looking at what was at the top of the charts around like October, November, 92. Um, just sort of like a catchy, but repetitive R and B song. I can Um, see that. It's what I hear. I don't know if you thought, I mean, the only other thing I could think of was like a, like a, like generically kind of hair metal song, but that didn't seem to me like something Claudia and Janine would like. (laughs) Nor would a couple be like, this is our song. Yeah. Well, depending on who the couple is, but probably not a high school couple of nerds. (laughs) So Yeah. yeah. So I'm going with real love. Okay. I like that. I approve. Um, okay. Also, this TV show that Derek is on. Yes. <laughs> PS162. Yes. Which is, it's like 
so it's it's based as I think they say in the book it's based on like an inner city school uh-huh. elementary school yeah but they're also all kid detectives no that's a separate no. show oh, that's a separate show yeah okay <laughs> Okay. His his main show is PS one sixty two, and then he did a couple episodes of Kid Detectives. Oh, okay. See, yeah. I got that mixed up, and it yeah. didn't <laughs> at all. But I thought, oh right, because kid- you weren't on the episode. You weren't on Super Brat. It was when stuff was going. You you had some. You had a conflict. So that was the only episode we've done with just me and Emily. So we never talked oh, about PS one sixty two with you. I see. Yeah. Um, but I did think the whole kid detective thing, I was like, I wonder where this idea came from. I'm wondering if it was just inspired by Carmen San Diego because mm-hmm. Carmen San Diego was like really big at that point. Mm-hmm. The, the ghost writer on these mysteries, what's her name again? Ellen Miles. Yeah. I feel like she is generally more influenced by pop culture mm-hmm. than Anna Martin, or I just get the sense that she is. Yeah. Speaking um, of ghost writer, was ghost writer also on at this time? Do you remember that show? I did not watch Ghost Rider. I only watched a few episodes. We were older, but I watched some. I feel like I watched some when I was babysitting. I don't know what that is. It was like a PBS show. Mm-hmm. Esme, do you have a synopsis of what Ghost Rider is? Yeah, I was right. It premiered in 1992. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So basically, uh, it's like a kid's mystery show. And... Um, it's a, it's a, as Wikipedia says, it's a multi-ethnic group of friends from Brooklyn who solve neighborhood crimes and oh. mysteries as a team of youth detectives with the help of a ghost named Ghost Writer. Because Ghost Writer communicates um, by manipulating text and letters. So it would move, move, it was filmed on location in Fort Greene. So oh, ghost, ghost Writer. Writer. Writer, yes. Got it. So Ghost Writer would like move letters around on the computer screen or like on a subway sign or whatever to help them with clues. Clues, And Samuel L. Jackson was in it. I don't think I watched it, but I'm sure my mom will text us next week and say that I did. <laughs> <laughs> Got some fiery texts about Emily not ever having PE, you guys. We could check out I our didn't story say highlights. I never had PE. <laughs> in sixth grade, in sixth grade. Oh, gosh. Yeah. But the thing I is, this is fun, but Claudia was reading Seventeen Magazine, mm-hmm. and, and, and I actually found like a scan of Seventeen Magazine from November 1992. Nice. Not, not all the pages, but it gives like a, a funny kind of peek into what was going on then. Yeah. So on the cover is Liv Tyler. Nice. Mm. This is pre- pre-crazy video. Phase. I was just going to say, crazy's not out yet? No, no. <laughs> this is just like when she was modeling. So she was like, you know. And this is pre-that 17. thing you do also? Yes, yes. No, okay. This is like the very beginning of her career. Yeah. Um. So. <laughs> when did Empire Records come out? Later, like 95. Okay. Probably, yeah. Or six, yeah. I would say five, okay. 95. As we can look it up while I'm talking. Our research assistant. Yes. So some of the things in it's five. <laughs> Sorry. It was five. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Some of the things in the magazine, it's there's like a there's a feature that's on the set of Northern Exposure. Oh my god. <laughs> we had so little to watch as teenagers in the nineties that know. we were watching Northern Exposure. <laughs> yeah. Such an old person show. It's so funny. And then kind of the hot TV show that was coming out then was called The Heights. Starring Jamie Walters, who, if you remember, he was, he had a role, a small part on Beverly Hills 90210. Mm. And he sang like that 
angel song, how to talk to an angel and his band singing in the peach pit. Anyway, he's the guy. (laughs) (laughs) He's the star of the show. Um, And it's really interesting because Gen Z, like the fashion in 1992 is definitely similar to how Gen Z is dressing today. No, it's, and it's really right. So we were, a freshman in high school in 1992, yeah. exactly 30 years ago. And I have a freshman in high school in my house and Keely and all of their friends dress exactly like we dressed. It's so weird. We took it's, one of their friends to a concert and I was like, is Noel Kersey in our car? Like, it's so weird. Yeah. It's funny. Cause there's like this like sexy guy wearing like overalls uh-huh. <laughs> and like a graphic like vest. It's, it's funny. Um, there's also a feature on Lollapalooza. Nice. I believe this is the second year of Lollapalooza. I think the first one was oh, in 91. Wow. Um, let's see what else. Like Pert Plus shampoo was really big. Um, and then there's a fashion spread called Actung Baby. <laughs> <laughs> Let oh, me just boy. read you the... Um, okay, so it says Actung Baby. Hup to it. The military look is on the rise. Oh, Mm -hmm. here's tactics for wearing it well. So that's like the head and deck, and then Mm -hmm. the little body copy tactics. That's good. Okay, this is peace is one of our favorite things, but that doesn't mean we can't borrow a few cool fashion moves from the armed forces. (laughs) Yeah, that's super ninety two. Super ninety (laughs) two. But this is this is what Claudia is reading. Awesome, and there's. The fashion is like, oh yeah, like it is, it's very, uh, very Claudia. I can see her wearing all of these things. Awesome. Um, And then just another little tidbit is like, there's one part where Claudia comes home from school and she sees uh, Janine like doing homework and eating some rice cakes. Mm -hmm. Then I was like, are those like white people rice cakes or are those (laughs) Japanese people rice cakes? Yeah. Are there a lot of places to get Japanese people rice cakes in Stony Brook, Connecticut in 1992? Probably not. That's another thing. Like, where did, where did Mimi buy all her Japanese groceries? I bet there was an Asian grocery store in Stamford. Probably. I bet, I bet, like, she would get her son to take her on the weekends. I'm just saying, you say rice cakes yeah. in your Japanese, it's not, yeah. it's not what you're thinking. Yeah. <laughs> White children reading this book. It's not what you're thinking. <laughs> yeah. All of our white children listeners, yeah. Um, they are also watching Citizens Court again. Or yeah. Citizens Court. But I've already <laughs> talked about that in a prior episode. So. Yeah. Oh, I'm hearing the theme song now in my head. I know. People's Court is so good. <laughs> uh, one more thing. This has nothing to do with the book, really. But Claudia talks about how she learns about irony. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she said, I learned about this thing called irony. Irony is kind of like when something happens that is the opposite of what you would expect. I'm certainly mm-hmm. not explaining it well, but take it from me. It was very ironic that Janine would be the one to teach Derek about the benefits of telling the truth. Mm-hmm. So if Alanis Morissette's song cannot come out at this time. No, I, I wrote the same thing down. <laughs> but I read this whole like think piece on that song and about how nothing in the song is ironic, but that in itself is ironic. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's irony. So it was meta, meta. Yeah, it's meta ironic. Yeah. So the, the, like the writer was like, was Alanis just playing a joke on us? And I was like, huh, 
Never I mean, she does that. pose it as a question. Yeah, that's true. And it's not. But <laughs> yeah, that slice the irony. So, so do you think that Alanis was inspired by the mystery at Claudia's house? Definitely, that's canon, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, she read this and was like, "I got to write a song." She didn't write that song. <laughs> it's like, isn't it ironic when a mystery is not a mystery? Isn't it ironic when your sister lies, when she's teaching someone else not to lie? (laughs) Don't you think? (laughs) Okay, Emily, it's your turn. I think those are the only two fake ironies in this song (laughs) or in this book. (laughs) Yeah, I really do think. All right. Was there, we got some candy, right? Claudia, it's Claudia book. She had to eat some tasty things. Yeah, she mentions like some junk food, but the only one she eats, I believe, is a double dog. Mm, that's a good one, though. Mm-hmm. We haven't seen double dogs in a while. It's like a, is it Drake's, Anne? I think like, double dog is a Drake's. Yeah, so the, you know, the not the hostess, but the other soft, packaged soft cake company. I think it's like two pieces. It's like a chocolate sandwich, chocolate cake sandwich. Is that correct? Ooh, I don't want that. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like. Uh, two sides of a hot dog bun are chocolate, yeah. and then instead of a hot dog, it's cream. Yeah. Now, got to send Emily some devil dogs. No, I'm not um, eating that. <laughs> hey, we'll, we'll all actually see each other this year for Christmas. Sick. So should we make Emily eat some things? Like We have to decide that now? <laughs> okay, just saying. This is our last regular release before the holidays, so listeners yeah. let us know. Oh, con- If you like, want to hear me eat some candy I don't want. Hop, yeah. uh, hop over to Patreon. Yeah, <laughs> or drop us an email if there's specific things you want Emily to try, like devil dogs or other stuff, then we can, yeah, we can get together and do that. Drop us a line at stuckinstonybrook yeah. at gmail.com. <laughs> Not a ton of tallies in this book. Um, one shy, two sensitives, and three sophisticateds. I think we're getting away finally from Claudia calling herself exotic. Oh, in other oh, news, yes. my, my notebook is almost done, you guys. I only have like maybe six episodes left in the notebook that I started back in 2020 when we started. Wow. Emily, how's your, how's your notebook? <laughs> Fuck you guys. Mm. <laughs> All right. Okay, so favorite lines. Claudia always has some good ones. She does. But my favorite was when on the good sister, bad sister area when her mom looked surprised and she says, but I guess she didn't want to look at a gift horse's teeth or however the expression goes. So I put gift horse's teeth down. That's good. I like that. Emily? I don't know where my notes are from this book because I read it. It's not in your notebook? Mm. No, I read it. If you recall, when we recorded Mystery 5. That's right. (laughs) right. right. So I have long since misplaced those notes. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I have two... Favorite lines that both have to do with Janine. One Mm -hmm. is Janine is a kleptomaniac. So good. And (laughs) also also when Claudia says, put a tail on Janine. I love that too. (laughs) I wrote that too. She's all official. She pulls out her nanster and put a tail on her. Yeah. I like both of those. I feel like a Janine centered one is appropriate for the title. All right. So Um, Janine's a kleptomaniac. Sure. Yeah. Okay. They're both yeah. good. Yeah. I, f- yeah. I feel like put a tail on Janine's a little more literal. So what should we pizza toast to? Did either of you cry in this book? I cried in this book. Can you guess where? When Claudia and Janine make up? No, it was very cute. 
but I cried when they were at dinner with Jerry Michaels at the Kishi house and Jerry turns to Claudia and says, Janine tells me you're the VP of a successful business. That made you cry? <laughs> yes. I mean, why don't we have an Esme crying tally? I don't know. <laughs> Haven't we done this? Because it's, so- it's you and I keeping track of something. <laughs> <laughs> okay. wait, wait, how does this not make you cry? Can you, Emily, help Anne out. Why does this make me cry? Explain to her why this makes me cry. Because it's like so sweet that Janine acknowledges the like all the work that Claudia does. That's not the not anything that Janine would have ever thought to do, but that she like sees Claudia for who she is and like respect. She's crying right now. (laughs) (laughs) And then tells her. And then tells. Yeah, obviously so proud that she like tells her boyfriend about it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I am crying right now. It's so cute. (laughs) I mean, it's nice. Yeah, it's it's nice. Okay, well, that's my suggestion. Do you guys have a different pizza toast you want? You want a toast to Jerry Michaels being hot? Is that that's what I heard? Sorry. <laughs> yeah, we should just toast to Janine getting some. <laughs> All right. I'm surprised that Emily didn't talk about what was it? Her acronym? Oh, I forgot. What is it? Over the pan. <laughs> oh, LGBTHJ. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah what else do you think they're doing in his red convertible okay <laughs> all right pizza toast to janine getting some to janine to janine getting some giving otphjs <laughs> <laughs> you brought it up that's true that's true anyway this episode of stuck in stony brook is now adjourned <laughs> Thank you to Anna and Martin for everything. This episode of Stuck in Stony Brook is edited by Salar Khan. You can find her work and hire her at propodcastediting.net. Theme song written and recorded by Gary Schaller, performed by the band Kid Kit. You can follow us on Instagram at Stuck in Stony Brook or find us on our website, stuckinstonybrook.com. You can also join us on Patreon for bonus content at patreon.com slash stuckinstonybrook. Need some books that we mentioned? Buy them from our bookshop and support both a local independent bookstore and your favorite series literature analysis podcast. Find us at bookshop.org slash shop slash Stuck in Stony Brook. Lastly, if you're feeling dibly generous and you want to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, that would be super helpful. You're the best friends a girl could ask for. <laughs> <laughs>